0: last time on Montreal sauce. Sometimes we have to smith our own tripod. So Right,
1: right. <laughs> what kind of job is this?
2: So what is it? What are you work like marketing, advertising, Paul?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I work at the uh the place that Chris was talking about a little bit ago, uh the marketing the marketing place that he was at when he was back in Grand Rapids. Um oh, okay. And my primary Uh, Roles. I mean, I I was originally hired in uh, to a fairly small interactive department um, where they were like, yeah, we think most of your time, like three quarters of your time is probably going to be programming websites, back end programming databases and stuff like that. Uh, But, hey, we also have this video suite over here uh, and nobody here actually knows how to use it. Uh, And you, it says here, have a film and video degree. So. Uh, The other quarter of your time will probably spend, you know, either doing that or teaching people kind of who are here how to do some of that. Um, So that was where I got started uh, with with DDM, where I've been now for five years. Um, And since then, it fairly quickly became the case that uh, there was a lot more interactive stuff going on than they had um, video, although video was growing too, but it was kind of like they realized that I couldn't continue to split my attention. So I pretty much am primarily doing um, programming, but also the department grew pretty rapidly. So I sort of took on a management role as well, started helping to hire additional backend programmers. So now a lot of my day-to-day is no longer really programming or video, which are the things that I was hired for but mostly like making sure that uh we have enough <laughs> enough resources to get everything done and then giving all of the programmers kind of direction on um how I would implement something or uh, what's the kind of taking a higher level approach. What's this, what strategy should be, we, we use when we're, when we're designing and building out this system uh, rather than doing the sort of nuts and bolts um, programming and integration these days. So if you've been there five or six years, you got to see like
2: firsthand, like I got to see firsthand working in TV, the, the changeover from like i don't know what do you want to call it? like web 1.0 to web 2.0 and the, and the blow up of digital media with you know
0: yeah yeah the- yeah um when i when i first got there um ajax was a thing that was it was already a fairly well established thing but it was like not something that your standard website would just do would just use Ajax for its forms out of the box. It was still pretty much like you would load a web page, you might fill in a form, and you would hit a button, and the whole browser would refresh, and you'd get a whole brand new web page. And from there, we've gone to, like, now I don't even want to use a website, I want to use an app, and I want that app to be on my phone, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. we've gone through, like, two cycles, and now it's kind of swinging back towards the web again a little bit. Um, but the the medium there changed quite a bit um and then on top of that um web video has been on the rise like crazy over the last five years um because it as people get better and better connections to the internet uh it's become a lot more practical um to show them even short snippets of video just kind of integrated into your website in different places um so yeah, the 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 medium is has changed, and kind of how we how we tackle it and how we pitch it to clients has had to change along with that.
2: That would be interesting to, have, to see that um, from the marketing, because DDM is like a marketing firm, or um,
0: full, yeah, yeah, full marketing and communications. So primarily, um, I mean, and full service, uh, is how they kind of, uh, characterize themselves. So a lot of traditional stuff, a lot of video, um, still print. Um, and then a lot of our businesses, like I said, growing like crazy in the, uh, interactive area. So websites and apps and, uh, all kinds of stuff.
2: Yeah. Who would have, who would have thought that the apps five years ago, I'm always like Grand Valley, you, you ruined me for that. <laughs> that, that with, um, like, why did I learn all this Final Cut stuff when now everyone wants the Adobe stuff? I'm like, oh, you, yeah. you failed me there. Yeah.
0: But. um,
1: Well, you you could have learned Media 100 like Paul.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could, have, you could have learned to uh, cut 16 mil- millimeter film on the uh, oh, Steinbeck. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, was that what it
0: was called, the Steinbeck, or is he yeah. just an author of odd novels? <laughs> I cut the pearl on the John Steinbeck sixteen millimeter. Uh, no anyway. desire to run out to California and fucking and film. <laughs> no, I mean that was what a lot of my. Um, that was what a number of the peers that were kind of in my class did. They would work on the summer film project, which I also worked on when I was at grand Valley. I worked on uh, the gospel according to Roy in the post-production class. And there was part of that, that was like um, I could see moving to California and doing that thing. And it would be, it would be a lot of fun. Um, Some of me thinks that it would be a lot of fun. There's another part of me that's like, even though I have all of this knowledge and I've done kind of my own writing and directing as part of film school, um, I would move out there, I'd have to make connections, and I would have to start at the very bottom and work my way. You'd have to start as a production assistant and kind of have coffee spilled on you for about five or six years before you get to move up from that position and kind of work your way into the right place. And I didn't really want to start from there and kind of like you, I also, I guess knew kind of leaving school that it would, if I, if I took this passion that I have for making film and making audio, um, and podcasting and this kind of stuff. And I turned that into my daily grind type of job. Um, it would be, it would make me really jaded and I, would probably no longer love this thing that i really love doing and i would rather even if it's not going to become something that pays my bills on a day-to-day basis i would rather still love doing it as a hobby than turn it into a profession that i hate
1: that is uh yeah that's that's something i remembered from high school sort of right out of high school um I, I went through that and I was like, what is wrong with us? Like, what is what is wrong with me? Like, I was really involved in theater in high school. And then uh, when I graduated, I did some local productions in town and even just working backstage. And I loved it. Um, and at some point, you know, I got on a list because uh, I was done with high school and sort of trying to decide what I was going to do in college and stuff. And so I was just going to a community college. And so I ended up on a list to do some jobs around the theater. Like they'd have like one of the Broadway shows come into town. And so, Oh, we need like a spotlight operator. Okay. I'll do it. And then, I started to really despise the thing that I loved. <laughs> I would I would work until like three in the morning striking a set for some production that we did, like we did, like I took ownership in and it was awesome. And I would be up until three in the morning working and dog tired and the next day have to go to like my paying job. Um, and it was great. But the moment like there's some sort of expectation of like exchange of payment and services. It was like, Oh, I really despise this. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what is, what is wrong with me? Um, So I made that connection early, but then I neglected to, I guess, uh, see it through like later on, like you just described, like I really enjoy doing video, but, um, but yeah, I feel sort of, Mm to an extent a little bit burned out from working at it, but maybe it's not so much burned out as I'm, I just wasn't sort of creating the things I wanted to create.
0: Yeah. That's really where I say Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say I, I, um, I enjoyed when I was doing more video production stuff, uh, at DDM and as a freelancer, um, I, I enjoyed doing it to some extent. um, and there were opportunities to find that creativity and kind of feel fulfilled um, doing some of that stuff. But it does come down to – and the and the reason that I think that it would eventually grade on me is that it does come down to you're not may, – you may be making or contributing to some of the creative decisions, but it's not to your – it's not entirely in your control uh, because you are doing these things on behalf of a client, and the client ultimately does have the final say. It doesn't matter if you think you know the 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 flower looks better if it's blue rather than it's purple. If the client wants it purple, it's going to be purple. And you're just going to have to swallow that, um, no matter what your better judgment might think. Um, and for whatever reason, I have a much easier time dealing with that when it's a website and it's kind of, I feel like websites, I guess, are a little more ephemeral anyway, because they're always being updated in two more years. They're going to ask for a refresh. You're going to redesign it. But that video that I made is the video that I made and it's going to stay out there. And if my name is going to be on it, I want it to be the way that I made it, um, and not the way that somebody else wanted it. And so that constant like client turnover and client, um, client based work would get really, really frustrating for me as a video producer. And for some reason I don't have that. I don't make that same connection when I'm building websites for people.
1: Yeah. I, I was able to, um, I had this discussion with one of my great friends, uh, who's a 3d artist. And it's like, um, so the example I use for him is, you know, he did some work for Pepsi and for a lot of big brands. And, um, so I just, uh, usurp his example instead of having my own personal one. (laughs) But, um, we both decided like we, we find like our creative joy, um, in the process more than the end product. So, um, the fact that uh maybe he had to like sell some shampoo to people with using his three D art is not maybe high on his list. But the fact that he like made that shampoo bottle morph out of a flower.
0: Like how <laughs> how
1: the hell am I supposed to do that? And then he did it and like he figured it out. And so it was that creative process that sort of like was the reward, then the end of product and so for me it was the same and um probably still is when I'm working for clients so um there's that uh but I think um I guess it all depends to uh like right now um I guess it's just sort of like flipping a switch like you said for for you the development of a website you you don't really have that um <laughs> That sort of like, oh, I, I don't want to do what you say as the client because that's a bad idea. <laughs> You're just like, hey, whatever, to your website. Um, so I think for me, like my current job, like I have like a, a writing assignment and I wrote something and um, a couple people were like, yeah, we really like it. And then someone was like, well, we were kind of hoping for something else. And uh, they gave me a description and I was like, um, I don't really want to write that way. And so I kind of fought a little bit, but I was like, well, you're the boss. So sure, I I can do that. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, right. right, I'm totally happy with this. And then I wrote like three more things for them. And then some of those other people who were with me were like, mm, I'm not sure that I like the new stuff. And I was like, well, I can't go back. that was my voice and you didn't want it so you don't get my voice anymore (laughs) but uh yeah so i guess there's just like a switch in my head i just okay they're the boss i'm done yeah yep yeah Yeah.
2: and that makes me think back to like oh working on a on a platform if you you know if you Know a platform or you know an application and you love working with it, you can find a little bit of that creativity in it. I had a, as a director, I got to work with uh, a video switcher. So it's a Ross vision switcher. It's got four MEs on it. It's decked out with um, all sorts of DVE and still store uh, effects processors and a powerful piece of equipment and you can really sink your teeth into it is what I'm getting. It's like, you can, Oh, like, you know, this stuff can do some really cool stuff and I have access to it. How cool is that? And you can, I could delude myself for a while on that. Um, like I did with, you know, final cut at one point or pro tools at one point. It's like, Oh, I can learn this and, and take that from it. But
1: yeah, that, for me, that was After Effects, like teaching myself After Effects. And I was like, look what I can do. Or it's been something that i was kind of been trying to get back into. Like, okay, like I just saw something or I was talking to somebody else who's doing a documentary right now, a former guest of ours, Justin uh, Hall. And he was saying like he wanted, you know, like an effect where um, images in the in the documentary spoilers oh man don't listen justin uh (laughs) he wanted he wanted an effect where um maybe images like in his documentary like load like web (laughs) 2.0 um or they transition that way and um he said he was working on it and i said i can give you a hand if you want and he never answered me because he's busy working but i was (laughs) i was like you know what I should just do that as like a project in After Effects just to like to ma- see if I can do it cuz like I love a challenge and I was like I think I could do it this way and so my brain started working and I was like I should just do it who cares if he wants it or not I'm just going to do it for myself so I can
0: <laughs> keep that function <laughs> in
1: my brain working Yeah yep like legacy
2: costs of OS and application menus. <laughs> I always feel like I'm taxing my brain. Like, I could probably let that one go. That piece of technology information from that old job or <laughs> something I don't use anymore. Like, well, I haven't touched Final Cut in a while. Well, that's partially
0: because my laptop died. but <laughs> You can unlearn those keyboard shortcuts that you spent all that time figuring out. Yes. Or where
2: is that squeeze function at that many like ah
1: again yeah
2: I probably won't I probably won't ever need it
1: yeah which, there's which is a, there's a trade-off that's all I was going to say go ahead well
2: that makes me think of like why everything is going tablet-based and mobile-based like people just want it simple keep it simple stupid the forum you know yep which is I just got done reading the uh, Steve Jobs biography and well I didn't finish it but the whole way through but there's some good points in it where, like specifically how he envisioned the idea to market apple was just some brilliant stuff like i think maybe that actually originated with him and it wasn't just some fundamental thing that i witnessed as a kid that was you know integrated throughout you know commercials and stuff that i just absorbed but i don't know i'm all over the place here but that <laughs> That like, uh, oh, it makes me think of like, there's a big chunk or a big section of a chapter that goes into the time when iTunes and eventually the iPod were released. Oh, Steve Jobs, just blame him for everything. (laughs) 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 The shift in mentality, everything's so simple now. Why did I learn all that stuff? And I keep thinking, I'll go back to school and I'm going to learn hardcore computer science. Sure. But what am I going to do with it? I keep asking myself. I should yeah. just stop and just program tablets. Program tablet stuff. Program mobile.
0: Yeah, yeah. The thing that's... The the thing that keeps you... Um, that keeps you valuable in that in that particular space, I think, is just the continuing to learn the next thing um because it it turns over so quickly like six seven years ago there was not a demand for people who could program in objective c there was like almost zero demand for it because the iphone was not a big thing the ipad did not even exist yet and the mac was a starting to grow again, but pretty small platform that wasn't real profitable to go write apps for. So there was nobody learning this language, uh, nobody that needed to know it. And then the iPhone comes out, they release an app store, the iPad comes out, and all of a sudden everybody needs to know Objective-C in order to build these apps. And that kind of shift happens so frequently in the technology world. Like, Ten years ago, you'd have you'd have said to somebody like. What are they teaching you in school? Or they're teaching you Java? Why are they teaching you Java? You should learn HTML and CSS because websites are gonna be big. And then mm. five years later, <laughs> no, now you got to learn Objective C because tablet apps they're gonna be big. And now it's it's back to HTML, but oh, but you gotta you gotta learn JavaScript too because if your website isn't super interactive and super flashy, um, nobody's gonna pay attention to it, right? And then oh, now you know JavaScript, you should learn JavaScript on the server too because uh, we should just use JavaScript everywhere even though it's fantastic language that probably shouldn't really get used anywhere. Um, <laughs> people <laughs> people who know me know that I'm actually kind of secretly in love with JavaScript, but it's very much a love-hate <laughs> thing. I, I will just say that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that... um.
2: That makes me think like, oh, like the. I see job postings and I think, oh, how does someone get into that? How does someone get into writing technical documentation for, you know, ERP rollout or, you know, new, new website rollout for a corporation? And then I started to dig into that some more and I realized that a lot of these jobs, they're all. Being sourced now through third-party,
0: yeah, staffing agencies, contractors, agencies, yeah, and that's a whole new ballgame. That I'm trying to
2: look into, mostly because I just want to get some experience. But whether it's, you know, what, the end goal or not, is something to be determined. But um, yeah, I even see I even see some like media stuff now. It, like the communications thing is so ambivalent and with titles and. Range of responsibilities, and I've seen staffing agencies post, you know, communications positions, digital media stuff that's bordering on computer science, and then, yeah, I, th- I think that'd be great to get into. But I'm never going to get it without at least some sort of hands-on experience doing coding or database or the degree, which I don't have. Um, outside of communications, so I think there's definitely like a there's a plateau there. You just have to take that jump. I think it's what I'm seeing most of.
1: Yeah. And you, you need someone to, uh, to take like a, a leap of faith with you as well. Like, I feel. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's my perspective as a non traditional student, quote unquote, <laughs> when I returned to university as an older person was like, um, I was a little bit disgruntled, like, why am I taking, like, this class? I don't need this class for my major, you know? Um, And so it was sort of trying for me at times. Um, But its I think it's hard sometimes that a lot of these programs at universities don't keep up with what the business world is doing. Sometimes they don't have a good tie. And then it's like um, most people learn how to do their jobs doing their jobs getting the experience that way, as opposed through like a university program, it's not always the case. And I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to university, but, um, I just think like there's sort of a large disconnect there. And, um, I wonder what like the future of education will be like as the internet evolves and and things like that, because it, and so many of the people, you know, not to um, point fingers, but our friend Paul here, uh, graduated with us in the film and video program he was not a developer like it's he 's all <laughs> self taught yeah so it 's like oh what what sort of credentials do you you know how does Paul get his job? Does he have like a card that he made <laughs> like, <laughs> he certification belongs to, he belongs to the programmers for men club yes so <laughs> the hair club for men <laughs>
0: right right <laughs> No, yeah, my um I mean I got my I got my job at DDM uh at least by being able to to show them websites that I had built um for for clients freelance as well as for myself. So it wasn't even a um you know, I, I certainly wasn't going in saying, look at this degree I've got. I kind of I mean, I was from the perspective of you've got this video thing, but that was not the job posting I was walking in there for. I was walking in there for this. Hey, we've got a programmer position that's opening up. We think it's going to be a full time thing. Um, and so I came in and and talked to them specifically about that. And really what I was bringing to the table was my portfolio. And what I would say is that is still a very. um applicable way to go out and get a job. Um, If you're going for the degree because you need the learning and you need the structured um, or at least semi-structured college environment in in order to keep you moving forward and learning, that's great. That's a great way to learn. Um, And the thing to understand about that is colleges and universities can only teach you the technology that they have today um, it's not 25 years ago when the internet was getting invented at college and colleges and universities and you were actually learning something that ahead of the general population. Now the universities are behind because the stuff that's getting invented is getting invented in, for the most part, private corporations, except for the stuff that's like maybe way out there kind of technology like nanotech that's having research done at at colleges and universities or biotech where it's really research heavy and it's not profitable, the technology you're going to use by the time you graduate from college is going to be completely different than the technology you were learning when you first went to college. And that's just kind of the reality of it. So they're teaching you, hopefully, somewhat cutting edge of what we have today. And it's going to look like an antique by the time you graduate. That's just kind of Moore's law in action as it applies to education. Um, but it is certainly, uh, valuable to go build your own stuff and be able to take that and show a prospective employer. Here's a website that I built and here's how long it took me. And here's the process that I used to build it. And here's the tools that I learned while I was building it. I think it's really, um, an employer worth their salt is going to be more interested in how well you can learn to do new things than what is already under your belt because in at least for the internet and for modern programming, the world is going to look different and the skills that you have now aren't going to cut it in 18 months let alone 5 years so they're not hiring you for what you can do now they're hiring you for how well you can learn to do the next thing that's coming well said I've had I, a number of rants this uh <laughs> this episode <laughs> that's interesting
2: stuff um, yeah I'm always up on that like plateau of like where do I find that fresh air to to discern that? But that's yeah, that's a really good point. I've never really thought of it in that manner. Cause you think back, like you, Chris, you mentioned um, was it real science or what's it called? That movie, uh,
1: Real Genius.
2: Real Genius. You think, oh, I'm gonna go to school and <laughs> I'm gonna work with lasers and and AI and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's practical.
1: No. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that was sort of always the argument in film school was, or at least because, um, uh, for me, um, because after graduation and even while I was attending, um, the university, I was working, um, for the school. And so that was sort of always the debate behind the scenes was with some of the professors was like, because I worked in the equipment room too many, um, Too many of the um, professors were, like, teaching software and equipment and not teaching, like, the basic techniques. Like Paul had mentioned, like, you're not using those cameras now. Those things are, like, super (laughs) old. Mm -hmm. So what's the point of learning how to do that on that camera? Or even to your point, Seth, like, we're not using Final Cut anymore, so what's the point of teaching that but to teach you to not cross the line with the camera to teach you like how to frame a scene to teach you (laughs) you know some of these like golden rules is what you really get out of school
2: yeah i I often think about what people do get out of school partially because growing up in a household of people who work for school system but also (laughs) i think back to tv and maybe i'm just too hard on people but wow, like I see some really like incompetence come out of things like that. Like no concept of like basic technology skills or like how to apply basic research skills with the internet or (laughs) yes, but they all want the flash and glory of course. And, um, just unwillingness to learn applications and, or even ill prepared to go ahead and memorize like menus and things like that. And like, oh my God, how do I, from like a supervisor's point of view, how do I even approach that over time? I was like, I could just teach people how to use the system over and over again, or I could get some idea of how to be better at, (laughs) I'm always like, I need to teach them how to, how to fish for themselves. Right. With technology, I'm always doing that. Like, you know, if I don't want to like ride on the gender line or, or even like ageism or anything it's just technology is so amp, so predominant and so everywhere now versus even when i was a kid and you know seeing apple products like oh that's the future or that's so crazy phones that don't have wires and <laughs> <laughs> then, it's, then it's like here like oh my god i used to make self fake cell phones out of legos and walk around and like and I was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's essentially the same thing. I'm holding my phone right now, it's just a piece of plastic, but it's got some stuff in it. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> uh, It's been a huge leap in technology. And it, I'm always amazed, like, uh, you won't say those mean things, but I will. But I'm always amazed, like, when there's people, <laughs> like, my age who I, like, have to, like, explain to them, like, oh, yeah, I do a podcast. Well, what's that? Like, really? Like, okay, I can understand some of your confusion. But yeah, like, there's so much happening on technology. I can't believe that you can go to work every day and then come home and you're not touched by technology in any way. Or it's not even interesting to you. That's, I mean... That's, I guess that's one of the subjects that you uh, had originally wanted to talk about was the North Pond Hermit, but (laughs) (laughs) like you really, like, I guess I, I'm a little bit jealous and a little bit like confused why you're not interested in joining the digital age, but yeah, I hadn't heard of the North Pond Hermit until you uh, brought it up, Seth. So I had to read about it yesterday. Did you read um, – there was a GQ article that was like
2: seven yeah. pages long. Did you see that one?
1: I, I saw it and I had it open like all day to read, but I never read it. I read a different one that pointed to that one. <laughs> it was a little long, so I'll forgive you for that.
2: <laughs> but I, some reason I got through it even though like I don't read articles like that. Someone had just sent it to me and I was like – and I would heard the story from past things. But he had not been caught yet, and so I was like, "Oh, he got caught!" But it's twenty-seven years in the in the wilderness. He only ran into a person, a human, or a human being, one time. He was walking, and he bumped into a hiker, and it was like, "Hello." That's all I said. But he spent. He just left one day, and just like, was yeah, able to. 20s. Yeah, so crazy, and he the most interesting parts were that he was able to find a nice place to make a camp, so to speak. And it was really isolated, but not too far outside of the most nearest town. Um, Northern Maine is where he's from and where it all took place. And he, it's really like rocky up there and the the ground's not level. And there's lots of, oh, oh, secluded remote wilderness that's not only state protected, but also there's some public private partnerships that maintain this huge section of undeveloped forests. Really? When you look at like maybe Manistee national forest around here and you compare it, it's actually quite large, but he found this nice little spot. It was, um, really isolated by these giant boulders and then these trees. And he was really paranoid about lights from, um, or reflecting off anything that he had in his possession like um, oh, anything metal, metal or anything like that so like helicopters or anyone watching with anything wouldn't pick it up and he had um, this little plot laid out where he he would go out and he'd steal these um, well he stole all his food over the years he never cooked it or hunted <laughs> it he stole it from all his cabins and people's homes so he'd wait for them to leave and go inside and steal like like beef jerky and like frozen chimichangas and Doritos and things like that. <laughs> and the worst part about the whole story was that he, his teeth rotted over the years. His teeth were in horrible condition. But other than that, he was healthy as a hog, so to speak. And it's just from that junk food, all <laughs> yeah. ruining his teeth. He'd steal propane canisters, um, and that's all he used to to provide heat and cooking fuel for himself. So he heated himself with propane on a little Thompson burner that you'd use for camping. Um, every winter in in Maine, and he said a couple times he came real close to um, to being so cold that he would have just perished. And he was, you know like pray for spring or whatever. But he never once lit a fire because he was afraid people would find him. And he just when he when he left he uh he took his car and he just drove it north and he like he just abandoned it down like a like a side dirt access road or something like that and uh yeah twenty seven years and the way they caught him was uh he kept going to the same camp there was like a boys and girls camp that was close by, and he would borrow the kayaks or the canoes and go down the river, and he'd sometimes break in and they had a cafeteria that had a, oh, like a meat locker, not a meat locker, but like a, a refrigerated cooler. And they would keep some food in there during the off seasons or there's something that would be left over. And so we'd steal that quite frequently over the course of the, all those years. And then finally the local police got smart enough and they installed a, uh, what do you call it? Like a webcam that had a motion detector hmm. patched right into the, uh, sheriff's house and so when he broke in the last time he was like a four-minute drive away and so he sped the whole way and finally got him just an interesting story
1: yeah the article i read too it said um it's kind of interesting too that he he wrote uh when he was arrested he wrote letters to this person that wrote the gq article and so i think they had a snippet from that article <laughs> um but he He said, you know, he never really got lonely, but he did sort of like lose kind of his own self-identity because he had like no one to interact with to sort of reaffirm that identity of who he was. (laughs) And so I thought that was kind of interesting. And yeah, he still added like, oh, I wasn't lonely. It just, he's like, I guess I was just like free, more free than anyone's ever been probably. (laughs) Yeah, there's a a story I read once
2: that and it's gained some traction now, but I've seen it in a few different places, but a family or a small village, small town in Siberia, like a, somebody like a medical worker went into the town sometime back in the 60s and this people, town folk they never even heard of like World War II. Like, it just completely was off their radar. So it makes me think like what would possess a person just to do that? Obviously just walk into the woods It makes me wonder, like, maybe he was, he like took some drugs or something, you know, and just his mind was like, no, no more. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) It's kind of scary, but still interesting.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. I had never heard of it until you mentioned it.
2: (laughs) We, when I was working at the TV station, we covered it, uh, maybe like two years ago when, I don't know what happened. Maybe like the police got close to catching him one time when he broke into the camp but they weren't able to get him and so they released some sort of, um. it was like a press release that gained some national traction. So we covered it at one point. I was like, oh, I'm bummer, he got caught. And then they only gave him seven months in jail and when he got out, which he is now, he's already out, Um, they gave him an ultimatum, either get a job or go to school. But they weren't going to let him go back in the woods. <laughs> But apparently he's like trying to to do it. He's trying to reacclimate and re enter society. Huh.
1: Wow, that'd be really strange. Yeah, like the article said, you know, he had no idea there was such a thing as an internet because he's been in the woods for twenty seven years. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Crazy. Y- you know, uh, when there's a pause i usually have a quiz prepared <laughs> but uh that requires research and dedication and despite being in canada i'm still an american so <laughs> i didn't do such a thing for seth uh, quizzes so, no i i didn't i didn't realize no that's okay but you know improv is way more fun anyway so why would we want a boring old quiz um so i don't i don't have a quiz we we can just improv a different challenge um <laughs> <laughs> you know instead of paul getting like uh destroyed by uh, by you in a quiz yes um right. we can <laughs> we can just give paul the power so he can uh well he doesn't have anything prepared for us he could you know what paul and i would both um love to make a living having a podcast network, uh, producing an empire of like totally rad shows like five by five or the Nerdist or something. True. So we should just like pitch our own shows to Paul. <laughs> <laughs> we can brainstorm new podcasts on the podcast. Like how meta. Super meta. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Definitely. Actually, I'll no. sp- oh, go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say um, I've really grown on the idea of, a, of podcasts podcast lately. Last winter, I just I just devoured a bunch of Joe Rogan and Mark Maron. I was just <laughs> like, these guys are actually breaking the the mold and doing something because it's the whole digital media blow up, and then how do I find my channel? How do I find my brand? How do I find yep. what the market? Yep. And I was like, oh, Joe Rogan's kind of funny. He's got a podcast. And look at this. He's got like 300 episodes already. So I broke through a bunch of them. and he He's funny because he gets on like interesting people. There. They go on a rant about whatever. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to be prepared for. That's my story. <clears throat> but man, yeah, I'm really digging this. I want to do a video podcast like the Joe Rogan ones. I want to get my own little switcher and um and do that. That would be a blast, I think.
1: Yeah, that would be sweet. Yeah, for sure. I I've been inspired by a recent guest we had, uh, David Sherry, and you know he had said, you know, when it comes to your market, you just have to have like something unique. Um, and so we were talking about like comedians in cars getting coffee and and uh, some of the sort of. Um, They sound rather odd, but they actually end up doing really well. And so I think, um, you know, there's a lot of podcasts like online, but what else do people do online? So I'm thinking porn. (laughs) 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 That's so funny because
2: um, when I got into the TV station, this reminds me of this one story, the anchors... Who you may remember um, from, (laughs) if you ever watched that TV station, I won't mention their names. Um, But I was like, man, you know, I just graduated and I got this degree in audio video and now I work at a TV station (laughs) for very, very, very little money. (laughs) I was just complaining one day and they're like, well, there's always porn. (laughs) And I was like, that's probably the most brilliant idea I ever thought of. (laughs) <laughs> you, ever, you ever thought of before? Because at the time it was like digital video on computers was you know it was like oh seven or whatever. Sure. So I was like oh, you know, he's like cheap production equipment, cheap cameras, and then my mind just like went crazy. Like oh, maybe I could actually do something here <laughs> versus <laughs> making porn in California. Um, yeah, all my. Like why don't I do that? Because I've put too much money in music equipment. I always <laughs> want cameras. I'm sitting next to a, my crappy lens that on my DSLR, and I just want to buy new lenses and talk about tech for a living.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 that would be a whole new expenditure to uh, to add on to the production studio. Here is a uh, a video switcher in order to do even to do something like this where i could right now we're just doing a regular skype audio call but there's no reason i couldn't do these as video calls and then route the screens into a switcher and and produce a video or maybe you know bastardize google hangouts to do something something along those lines and then record the hangout that's probably the simple way to do it right but Mm -mm. um that's uh i've definitely thought about how that how i would make that work and that mentally is like okay we need to have x number of listeners and we need to have x number of sponsors that mm-hmm. are paying us this much money for me to even really get into that the audio production stuff like audio equipment is cheap enough for high enough quality stuff that i can justify as a hobby buying this stuff and having it and like you Uh, I, I could, I could start using this stuff to, uh, to make a little bit of music on my own. I could maybe do a little bit of freelance voiceover work or something like that, just out of my home studio, which would be lovely and fun. Um, but, but to get into video, that's like, uh, that's like a 10 X whole nother ball of wax in terms of (laughs) what the expenditure just to get, just to get the stuff to produce the quality that I would want. It's really expensive.
1: No, no, I got it. I got it. I got your show. I got your show, Seth. Here we go. I'm um, back to porn. <laughs> <laughs> you you, you interview porn stars about their everyday lives, right? Because um, <laughs> thanks to the web, we know them physically better than their general practitioners, but we don't know them as people. You know, maybe... <laughs> Maybe he or she is just, you know, doing porn to pay for college to become a whale biologist or, you know, oh, everyone, has a, off. everyone has I a story. And then and then you call it behind the screams. <laughs> <laughs> so we get up and up and
2: coming um, beat production <laughs> artists to go on like. Um, like pimp my ride and they'll. They'll win and then they can use their music in in like a famous porn actresses next video. That's their, that's their prize to put their music in there. (laughs) Nice. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yep.
1: Yeah. I mean, everyone has to start out somewhere. Uh, Paul's a successful (laughs) developer now, but, uh, you know, he put him himself through school by, uh, um, by clubbing with baby seals. So (laughs) (laughs) he, he didn't beat them. He just uh, took them, Uh, clubbing but he's that's right but paul's still not proud of it because you know he was in effect like a coyote sneaking baby seals into adult seal clubs so it's true (laughs) oh what did i eat tonight wow (laughs) (laughs) yes that's part of the podcast empire behind the screams
0: behind the screams yep
1: so how would you do it? Would it be um
2: like a walk and talk?
1: <laughs> on set. <laughs> on set.
0: Wow. On set. Yeah.
2: There you go. And then they then they stop, then they rap and then they you walk back, you know, the handheld camera on the shoulder, walk back to the dressing room and then take it from there. I, <laughs> what's it like What's it like growing up with Oh, it's like that. I think there was a Jenna Jameson like Diane Sawyer interview or something back like 15 years ago tell me about life back home at the trailer park.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I like the idea to come full circle with like, um, what we were discussing earlier. It's just like, um, it's on set, but like they're making the film and then there's a cut and then they just turn to you and talk about life in the trailer. park. And then the director says roll. And so they're like, so that's, uh, where I grew up. And then, Oh, sorry. Oh, Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> never that The possibilities food. are never ending. Yes.
2: Yes. Yes, this is true. But or with not. any good art, any good art, you really got to find people to work with, I think. Don't you? I mean, as a musician, I'm always like, I'm just too picky. Like, oh, your music sucks. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> I, I got to get rid of that pretend... I wanna be creative but I don't want like my my art to be I want it to be complimented and not be, you know, overrun or overshadowed yeah, or yeah. Manipulated or or anything like
1: that. It's, yeah, and it's one of those things, like one of the lessons that I've learned from the podcast and mentioned a few times is like everyone has their story and kind of when we had our uh, guest Justin on, you know, I I was sort of taking the position of sort of like self-absorbed world that we live in where everyone's taking selfies and posting on Facebook and he was like, you don't know what that person went through today. Like, you know, maybe something you know maybe they have some sort of uh skin condition and today they're having a good day and they feel good about themselves so they took a picture and i was like wow i'm a real judgmental asshole (laughs) (laughs) you should watch more local tv news yeah sorry (laughs) (laughs) so so now i've been sort of taking this position like i don't want to be that guy that says well my stuff is better than yours i don't want to work with you but it's it's really difficult like um to not be a jerk is what i'm saying no it's uh <laughs> it's a tough balance because you're right like at a certain point like there are people that are going to compliment your style of art whether it's music or some other function i mean there's definitely you know People who could send me footage, um, and please do, because um, <laughs> I love work. Uh, people who could send me <laughs> footage and I could edit for them. And then there's other people who I couldn't edit for because we just do not gel. So you're right. Like there's There's definitely, when it comes to a collaboration or a partnership, you have to find the right people.
0: But to your point, too, it definitely helps to have somebody... Uh, that you're that you're working with, because now you have that person that you are sort of accountable to um to get things to get certain things done by certain times whereas when it's if it's just you, you can always justify uh you know what I could work on that, but uh, there's another pile of laundry that needs to get done and I'll, I'll go do that instead. And then while I'm folding the laundry, I'm going to turn on the TV and then I'm just going to be distracted for the whole rest of the day. Uh, whereas if you've got that other person uh, or team or whoever it is that you're kind of reporting to and checking in on, um, not in a like, we're going to spy on each other to make sure that we're always doing everything way, but just a very simple like, hey, I'd like to see what that logo looks like if you do this. And then the other person kind of sends it back and then says, hey, what if the website had this kind of a feature on it? And you're like, oh, yeah, I could do that kind of thing. And so you keep each other moving and motivated to get things continuing to happen as opposed to getting stuck in your own internal, like, the artist loop or the artist trap where um, you might think of it as, as writer's block or, or some kind of a mental roadblock. But in reality, what it is is you've become too strong of a critic of yourself to just put something together and put it out there. Well spoken. Well, yeah. It, I, I find that all over the place, not even
2: within myself, but like I see that in people too, to struggle to find that creative outlet, whether it's work or anything. Um, man, it's still all over the place. It's just like a spectrum of things. And, <clears throat> I think about I gotta stop worrying about uh being in charge, like you were talking about. It's just like Oh, I need to be motivated to be professional and always keep going up the ladder, but I wanna maintain my artistic integrity at the same time. I'm just I'm just blah.
0: Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Sometimes sometimes those the two goals are conflicting to some on some degree.
2: Don't you, don't you ever find that, like, you know, being in a leadership role, that it's difficult to teach that to people who don't have any honors, who are just coming in the door? Isn't that just, like, the worst thing? Maybe you don't have the turnover that I experienced, but...
0: Yeah, no, we do have we do have some level of turnover, um, because you get you get people in who maybe it's their first job out of college, and they don't really know what to expect out of it. Um, and so you train them and you get them learning stuff and a a year, two years, three years goes by and, and they realize this isn't really for me. And there's this other opportunity that I think is something more interesting that I'm going to work in. So they move on. Right. Um, and that training, like. Just from a from from a business standpoint, training new people is like the most expensive thing you could possibly do um, because for the for that amount of time that you're training them, you are paying them their full salary, but you are making no money off of them because they can't they don't have the skills that they need yet to to do anything that you can charge money for so um, and on top of that, you have to take the time to teach them so you are also no longer able to charge any money to anybody because you have to take that time and dedicate it to to training somebody um and, and yeah you you have to be careful kind of who you hire and who you uh who you bring in because you do you're trying to find people who you can kind of maximize at the same time um there's there's few people with the right skills. And so you may not have the, have the choice of that perfect person. Who's got an amazing personality. You could stick them in front of a client. They're going to be, they're going to be great there, but they can also come back, sit at their desk and crank out, you know, eight hours worth of programming in four hours, and it's all going to be perfect and bug free. Like that person's not out there. So you have to, um, you have to figure out what the what your priorities are and how much you can augment the skills that they already have with the skills that you can teach them. And then beyond that, like creating documentation so that it's easier to train them and so that they have a reference and something to go back to instead of having to just physically interface with a person every time they get stuck. Um, it's really... Uh, It's it's really a challenge. And I do have days where I come home after I've been, you know, training somebody for, you know, doing a couple session out couple hour long sessions with somebody on some facet of an internal system that we have. That's like, you know, you need to know this, even though it's kind of legacy. We're trying to phase it out, but we need people who know how to who know how to work with it because it's probably not going to be gone anytime soon. Um, and you just get into this rut of like, ah, oh, I hate that I have to teach you this. I'm sorry that you, that you have to deal with this headache that we <laughs> created 10 years ago, but it's still a thing that's alive and we have to have people who know how to, who know how to mess with it. So, uh, so here we go. Let's dive right in, uh, with smiles on our faces and, and I'm going to teach you about this ancient thing.
2: I often think that technical communication is the road to everything for me i could just build a career off that (laughs) explaining technical documentation
0: for for it you really could you really could i mean that could be a that could be a job for somebody who is willing to kind of dig in ask the right people the right questions and then put together like videos and physical documentation of of systems that are like internal or things like safety procedures and stuff like that. Like, I, I know some of the clients that we've worked with have um, have in some cases, video departments that are dedicated to like taking these products that they build and making the tutorials and the uh, how to videos and the safety procedure videos for those products, because it's such a key part of people having a good experience with their product is how you learn to use it
1: yeah and see i that's right back to me as the idea man i i think like (laughs) we we just need to start a consulting firm there you go general consulting (laughs) you just walk into a place and you say you know what you gotta do this i have my payment now thank you
0: that's right yeah and we know a guy and so, we know, we don't yeah. Know that yet. About the referrals too. I see. before you know it, you're an agency. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man, uh, I've um, I've had the uh, well, I guess it's a pleasure to um, have interviewed with a, probably a good thirty to forty TV stations throughout the country over the past year via phone and Skype. mm Hmm. Picking their brains about, um, oh, what you know, what can I transition to from this point in my career? um, It's one of those industries where they're really good about opening up their doors for people who want to learn. Sure, Um, it's entry level. You're not going to make a huge career out of it unless you're going to be on air. If you do that, and you know, you can make decent money. But for people wanting adventure, uh, you can. You can travel around and bounce from market to market. So I've interview with them. I'd always be interested in like, oh, what technology you guys have? And we'd have endless conversations on the phone about this and that and what they're running for graphics or what they're running for video play out. If they've got automation software for news programming or if it's old school director and technical director knocking it out. Um, I kind of... Was hoping to get a little bit more out of it. Um, like, oh, you know, I'd hear about some station over in every side of the country, and be like, oh, we got this going on. It's just, we do it differently over here, but what I'm finding is that it's pretty much just cookie cutter everywhere, and it's just basic stuff with the same three uh, vendors who supply all the technology for video <laughs> <Yeah>. switchers. <laughs> yep. And I think about business models and. How they capitalize on that market, and it's just ah, oh, media is such a um, it's such a just like circle of repetition and like ah, uh, it just uh, now that with the with the media on the industry or the digital media on the internet, it's all cookie cutter. You can see like the same templates on the web pages for these stations. Now that all their yep. business has been pushed to the to the web yep. versus where all that before was on on air you can pick out like um like channel eight here in town it's owned by lynn media soon to be owned by media general but lynn has their own web designer and so it gets pumped out of i think iowa where they're from and so all the websites look the same and oh it's it's a good inspiration for kids but there's so much like uh Juvenile <laughs> industries out there. The kids get done with school and they just find themselves in like broadcasting or like <laughs> small <laughs> firms or something. You yeah. know I, I, I wanted big goals. Like I, I'm still got like maybe because I haven't settled down and like get done the family thing yet. But I'm still like dreaming about bigger things. I'm always like I want to I want to go work for Elon Musk <laughs> just because I want to <laughs> do fun stuff. You know? Yeah. I want I want to watch him crush the big three. Not because I want to see the big three die, big three automakers, but just because I want to see it happen, like from a like a yeah. from a business yeah. corporate tycoon kind of kind of thing. Yeah. I think it makes me back to Austin. That's kind of like the reverse of like a technology metropolis growing. Big companies like Apple and Google and Dell were like, where is it hip and happening at? Let's go build stuff there. Yeah. So like yep. you're building these these little um like clusters of, um, you know, outside of Silicon Valley, but Austin's a good example, where it's like the media-centric attitude of that area is now grown not because of happenstance, but because th- these big corporate giants are now influencing things like mm-hmm. urban development and and where the workforce goes. So I'm, I'm always interested about doing that. Like, oh, I need to find that that. Uh, that right geographic area. That just brings me back around to searching on CityData.com for <laughs> what's the crime <laughs> like in this area Did I live here. How much yep. is rent? Yep. How much should I? How much should I offer for? Um. Or how much should I counter for? Because cost of living's increased. Oh, so yeah, I did that with a TV thing. I I've, I've been searching for an interview for over a year, and I had a few offers. One was in Medford, Oregon, which is um interesting little town it's like a it's smaller than grand rapids for sure it's a uh it's in a rain shadow they call it of the mountain so it's arid even though it's like surrounded by all these like national rainforests and redwoods and stuff um another one was in lafayette louisiana random places little small little town um where else i forget somewhere in florida but they're all they all offer very little money and uh, oh but the opportunity to learn we train people that's their pitch oh we train people with TV because <laughs> they get big kids kids in there with like big eyes like oh the anchors yeah. make big money I want to make big money too and they, everyone wants to be on air and you get that like, attitude and that diva mentality yeah yeah. Uh, I want to find that niche for me where it's like uh, technology of the communications minus the diva <laughs> for sure right
1: <laughs> Yeah. For sure. Such is life. Yes. Well, gents, it's uh, getting kind of late, and I assume we all should probably pack it up and call it an end to the show. Um, but I was going to ask you, Seth, uh, uh, another experiment in podcasting. Um <laughs> Our, our next guest on Montreal Sauce is going to be an actor uh, in Chicago who I know, and um, he's actually been in some bigger movies. I was just wondering if you had a question that I could ask him, one guest asking another guest a question. You see this crazy tie I'm making That's somehow.
0: crazy. Awesome. <laughs> so
2: he's an actor based out of Chicago, originally from yep. Chicago? Nope, <clears throat> he's
1: originally from Muskegon, like me, but he uh, he's in Chicago. He's been in commercials, and he was in one of the Dark Knight films. So, yeah. I just wondered if you – you deal in television, so you probably don't have questions for actors. But I was just going to say, do you have any questions I can ask him? And then I would ask him for you.
2: <laughs> yeah, like um, let me think. <laughs> what should- makes me wonder who he is. What's his name? <laughs>
1: <laughs> his name is his name is Andy Luther. Okay, it doesn't ring a
2: bell. Um, trying to make it in acting, or he is making it acting. I guess like what were some of his biggest breaks?
0: That's I'd uh, um, be most interesting to hear that.
1: Okay, you want to hear like what his biggest breaks were? How, yeah, like, how know, is he, he
0: cracking into uh into the business? Yeah, you know, like who you know
2: what did he go after, you know, who gave him those great first opportunities?
1: Got you. Got you. Cool. Awesome. So is there uh Is there information you would like uh, in the show notes or to leave the audience with tonight? I can point them to the Reverb Nation page slash ravenous magnet, or do you have uh, an online page or somewhere you want to point our audience members? The Reverb Nation would be great. Cool. That's where they can find you and maybe your future album you might post there too. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks again for uh, being on the show.
2: Not a problem. Oh, thanks for having me, guys, and um, it was a blast and um, cool. we killed some time here.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, I will uh, put uh, the Reverb Nation. It's uh, ReverbNation dot com slash Ravenous Magnet, and you can listen to Suss Music. And uh, I will put that in the show notes when we post this episode. Um, you can find uh, me on the Twitter or on the Montrealsus.com website. There you go. How about that?
0: Yeah, and you can find me uh on Twitter as well at uh Paul D P A U L D um as well as yeah, Montrealsauce dot com. And I have been uh firing up my uh my web browser for uh cupcake dot is again. So uh I've been posting over there on the comp the cupcake.
1: Lots of uh, developers there, Seth. So I don't know if uh, it would be an interest to you, but Cupcake is a small community right now. So there's definitely good friends, even some in the chat room right now um, for the web or for the podcast. But uh, yeah, it's a good tight community. I don't know what they're talking about half the time because they're all developers, but <laughs> they're all very supportive. So if you decide to jump back into social media, check out Cupcake <laughs> <laughs> And dot again, is I think, yeah dot okay. is so uh yeah thanks again for popping on to the show it was good chatting with you again and great to hear about uh, your music and keep doing it man and thanks keep, guys keep doing it everyone else all right good night from montreal sauce thanks